seconds here. Welcome to Yoga Chit Chat. I'm Phoebe Schiff, yoga teacher, kombucha drinker, and CBD connoisseur. And I'm Karak Morinaga, yoga teacher, whiskey drinker, Mini Cooper driver. Every week we meet virtually for an informal discussion on a common yoga philosophy principle, teaching, or theme. Today's topic is Svatantriya, the Sanskrit word for freedom. I think this is the last of the major attributes of the divine that we've been covering on the podcast. And in some ways, I feel like we've saved the best for last. This is a big topic in the world of tantric philosophy. So I'm excited to dive into this one. There's so many different ways that we could take this topic. Very simply, Swatantriya can be translated as freedom or ultimate freedom or divine freedom. Let's maybe start with freedom in terms of yoga on the mat, and then we'll expand it from the mat to daily life. Well, starting with yoga is interesting because in a lot of ways, teaching yoga and practicing yoga doesn't feel like freedom because you're following the instructions of a teacher or as a teacher, you're choosing different poses to teach. And in choosing those, you are limiting where the class can go in a sense. So I think that thinking of freedom in this context is really interesting because in some ways we're celebrating the the freedom to practice yoga and also the limitations that each pose presents. In many of the poses in Anusara yoga, we give many instructions. So the teacher will tell the students what to do with their bodies, where to place their hands and their feet, how to engage the muscles. We'll even tell them which direction to pull the muscles in or stretch the muscles out. And in giving them all of the instructions, it can feel like there's a lot to do and you can't just do anything that you want. In many ways, yoga is about finding freedom in one part of the body while we're what feels like restricting another part of the body. And that's really how even muscles work. We contract muscles on one side of a bone so that the muscles on the other side of the bone stretch more. So for example, um, if you want to stretch your hamstrings, you have to contract your quadriceps. In order to find freedom in the backs of your legs, you have to constrict or restrict or at least engage the front of the legs. So we'll find freedom on one side or freedom in one part of the body. And the way that we do it is by creating boundaries in other parts of the body. A common theme in Anusara classes is that stability leads to freedom. So by engaging and by becoming stable in one part of the pose, you're able to explore realms of freedom in another part of it. I think of warrior two, for example, the more stable you are in your lower body, 
the more that you can find some freedom in your upper body and maybe start to wave your hands a little bit or move your torso. And it's in the, the limitation, it's in the stability that you're actually paradoxically able to find more freedom in a different part of your body. So that's where this idea of freedom gets really interesting because it's grounded in, it's really the freedom to choose boundaries or limitation to find more freedom. And every yoga pose is a choice, is an offering from the teacher to the students and the students have to choose that form be it triangle pose or a handstand or a hip opener, the students choose the form, the shape, in order to experience the freedom that the shape offers. If they don't choose the shape, then how will they experience the freedom of the shape, of the pose? The teacher can only offer, and then the students have the freedom to choose. So freedom is about choice. It's the freedom to choose, but then we're asking them to choose specifically the poses that we're teaching. Right. This is really interesting to move off of the mat. This goes into structuring your days. And I think it's safe to say that all of us crave freedom in some capacity. We want the freedom to be able to structure and design our lives in the ways that feel good for us. But if we're too free, then we limit ourselves from freedom. So for example, if you're too free in the way that you're spending money and you're too free in the way that you schedule your day and you commit to all of these different things, you actually make yourself less free. So in the same way that a pose requires a level of stability to really experience freedom, in order to experience freedom in your day, you probably want to make sure that your bills are paid. You probably want to make sure that there's food in the fridge. You probably want to make sure that your affairs are in order so that you can really enjoy freedom from the stability of structures. And this is something that I've learned the hard way, by the way. Another fun example of having too much freedom, which then doesn't feel like freedom. Have you ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? Their menu is a book and there's so many options that I get frozen, petrified from just having too many options. I'd rather have a menu that I can just look at one side of the menu and there's seven to 10 options. And I feel free to choose from the quote unquote limited menu in the unlimited menu of the cheesecake factory or any other restaurant that has a menu with dozens of offerings. It becomes almost limiting to have too many options. Yes. There's actually a, there was a experiment done in marketing and in the I always find this really interesting and it was testing it was a a jam company and when they did demos and they put out 10 different styles of jam 
they actually sold fewer containers of jam than when they did the exact same experiment with three samples. So too much freedom can actually be limiting. I also feel this way when I go to try and watch something on TV because there are seemingly 4,500 channels and I get so intimidated and overwhelmed by how many choices there are. I usually just turn the TV off. If there were still five channels to choose from, I would probably watch a lot more TV. And it's, it's a reminder that when we, even though we crave freedom, when we have too much of it, it can be so overwhelming that we desire the limitation of, of things being kind of curated for us in a sense. And this is why in a yoga class, we don't offer many yoga classes where we invite students into the room, set up your mat. Okay, now do whatever you want. Nobody would pay to set up a mat and just do whatever they want if the teacher wasn't going to create structure, create a sequence, give instructions, help students. All of those things that the teacher is doing is creating limitation so that the students can experience freedom in the pose, in the sequence, in the yoga. I don't think most students want complete freedom in a yoga class to quote unquote, do whatever they want. They might think that they want that, but I don't think that they do. Most people coming to yoga, they desire that limitation. They want structure. They want boundaries. They are looking for the teacher to guide them through a quote-unquote limited sequence. And we see that in varying degrees. In some styles of yoga, the yoga is limited to the same 26 poses every time you come to class. And some people crave or want or desire or even need that level of limitation. And then we have other styles that are a little more open than that. And there's a couple of different sequences that students go through at a studio. And then there are other styles where it's not a set sequence and every class it changes and the teacher decides to focus on something different. So we'll see all different levels of choice and all different levels of experience and boundaries and sequences. And then the students really are free to choose among those classes. So they can choose a Bikram class, they can choose an Ashtanga class, they can choose an Anusara class or a flow class or a Kundalini class. And then the choice starts before the limitation. So they're making the choice and they're choosing one set of limitations. Students are free to choose the limitations that they desire. And everything that you just said is rooted in a to kind of zoom out to the macro yoga philosophy, it's, it's rooted in the idea that Shiva, which is the, the sort of archetype of pure consciousness, chooses, well, Shiva in, in its freedom, chooses to create bondage, chooses to create limitation and forget the true nature of freedom in order to manifest into all things. And, and that's really what we're doing 
you know, as you were talking about going to yoga, I was thinking we are, as a yoga student, you're paying to go be limited. We don't necessarily think that we desire limitation. In fact, sometimes limitation has a kind of negative connotation, but really we, again, it's like you said, if, if you showed up to a yoga class and the teacher said, all right, everybody do whatever you want, you, you'd want your money back. And, and so then all of these different styles become the different options for how we want to, to experience the limitation in our freedom, just like Shiva. This is exactly what you were saying. I'm just going to reword it from the Pratapahinya Hridayam, which is a text that I study. The book is The Splendor of Recognition, which is a commentary on the Pratapahinya Hridayam. Uh, the Pratapahinya Hridayam is a set of 20 sutras that focus on tantric philosophy. It really is elegant in the way that it lays out tantric philosophy in a very concise set of 20 aphorisms. The very first one and the very first sutra of a set of sutras is always the most important. The first sutra of the Pratapahinya Hridayam is Chitta Swatantriya Vishva Siddhi Hetu. Chitta Swatantriya Vishva Siddhi Hetu. Consciousness, freedom, the universe attains is the cause. So consciousness, freedom, the universe, accomplishment, cause. So the translation is consciousness in her freedom brings about the attainment of the universe or consciousness in her freedom creates the universe. The first word is consciousness and that's the most important word. And the very second word is Sotantria. So in the entire tantric philosophy, this concept of freedom, it's the second word. It's the, we could argue that it's the second most important concept. It's all about creation. Consciousness creates the entire universe. And in that act of creation, consciousness makes a choice to create. No one forces consciousness to create the universe. She doesn't have to do it. Out of her own free will, out of her own delight, she chooses to create everything that we know in the manifest world. But that choice is a limitation. Consciousness chooses to limit herself. She has the absolute power to do anything that she wants, but she limits her powers of omnipotence and limits her powers of action so that the fabric of space and time are created, so that we get everything in the universe crystallizes into a form and it's all because consciousness chooses to limit herself in various ways in order to create everything. And then as consciousness limits herself, she can then experience herself through the limited forms. The limited forms being everything from you and me to inanimate objects and galaxies and stars and down to the microscopic level atoms and molecules she experiences everything big and small because of limitation. This reminds me of the process of manifestation. 
manifestation comes from the ability to freely call in things and and to design your life in a certain way. And manifestation is a contraction. It's it's a limitation. If you are manifesting, let's say you're manifesting a, a yoga class that you, if you're a teacher and you're manifesting a class that you want to teach, I'm currently manifesting some yoga classes. If I limit myself to to manifesting a yoga class, then what that means is that I am focusing on that. It means that I'm spending a section of my day, you know, researching studios and and networking among people who may be able to refer me. If I'm less clear and less focused, and I'm also simultaneously working on other things and not putting in that that focus and that clarity and not limiting myself to the focus of manifesting a yoga class, then it will take longer to materialize. In order for us to have the freedom to manifest the things that we desire, we need to limit our awareness to what we want to create. And in in that, it becomes this dance between freedom and limitation to create the things that we desire. I like that you use the word focus because focus has maybe a little less of a negative connotation than limitation. In your day, you're choosing to focus on manifesting yoga classes instead of choosing to limit yourself to yoga classes. In a yoga class, when you're doing triangle pose, instead of limiting yourself to triangle pose, it's just that you're focusing on triangle pose for five breaths. And then you're going to get to shift form and focus on warrior two for five breaths. And then you get to shift and focus on something else. So unlike the menu where you're choosing just one thing off of the, either the giant menu with unlimited items or a small menu of 10 items, for the duration of being at that restaurant, you only get the one choice. That's your focus. But in a yoga class, you are focusing on one pose and then you focus on the next pose and you focus on the next pose. So instead of thinking of it as limitation, we might flip that script a little bit and look at it as just shifting focus from moment to moment. I really like the idea of focus as the the more positive interpretation of limitation and this has been such a life lesson for me this year, which is that you can only do one yoga pose at a time. You can, only, you can do thousands of yoga poses in your lifetime, and you can only do them one at a time. And it's the same thing with anything that you want to do. You can do tons of different hobbies, tons of different skills, tons of different things, but in order to, to have the freedom to experience them, you have to do them one, one at a time. If you try and do three poses at once, it's going to be complete chaos. And this is something I practice and don't always achieve. Currently, I'm reading three different books all at the same time, even though I'm trying to get myself to just start a book and finish it 
but sometimes this whole freedom and limitation thing gets muddled up and I want the freedom to be able to be reading three books at once, but then I am kind of all over the place and, and that's where I need to come back to realizing that in limiting myself to reading a book from start to finish, I'll get the most from it and then I'll have the freedom to move on. That's a great example. As soon as you mentioned three books, juggling three books at a time, it reminds me of a video that I just watched. There's a, you can Google this, Rubik's Cube juggling. So there are individuals in the world who can, they can juggle three Rubik's Cubes and solve the Rubik's Cubes while they're juggling them. And the world record is, there's a kid from China, he's like, he's a teenager, who can solve them in under five minutes, all three of them, while he's juggling them in under five minutes. I can barely solve one Rubik's Cube without juggling them, and I can barely juggle. I can't imagine doing the two things at once. So some people are better at juggling and handling multiple tasks. But even when you slow down the video of the kid juggling the Rubik's cubes, it looks like he's focusing on solving one cube more than another. So you'll see one of the three cubes get solved before the other cubes. So even in what looks like chaos and everything happening at once, even that amazing child is shifting his focus it's just happening so fast that from the outside it's hard to see maybe focus is different for different people like what we can focus on is different so maybe one person can juggle three books and read three books at a time so to speak and for others of us, we, we just need to, to zero in more on one thing. Right. Well, and I wonder what his, what the, the Rubik's Cube juggler, what his training is like. You know, is he able to, to do all of that because he went through and first figured out how to do a Rubik's Cube and then figured out the juggling and then figured out combining them was it was he able to do that because he broke it down into little steps it has to have happened that way there's no way that he learned to juggle and solve rubik's cubes at the same time he had to learn he had to focus on solving rubik's cubes he had to focus on learning to juggle and then he could combine the two to create something completely new so focus on one thing focus on the second thing so that he can focus on doing both at the same time, which is now this new thing. So in his process of creation, choosing to focus and then expanding into this new skill of juggling and solving Rubik's cubes, which still boggles my mind that that's even like a thing. Even though this example feels really impractical, it actually, it applies to all of us. We're all trying to juggle Rubik's cubes, so to speak. We're all trying to, you know, adult and parent and get our work done and do all of these different things. And 
what I'm hearing from this conversation is that the secret sauce is to break it down pose by pose. And then when you have focused and limited your awareness on one aspect of your life for long enough, then you're able to move on to the next thing. And then that's when you're able to juggle. But mastery comes from, from contracting your awareness on one thing for long enough to then be able to move on to the next thing. And then we can play. And that's why yoga is such a, a great practice for people who are, who are multitaskers or can be scattered because it reminds us that we can do it all one step at a time. Some poses have so many things that you can focus on. The pose that comes to mind most readily is handstand. There are so many things that you can focus on to improve a handstand. You can focus literally on your hands. You can focus on the strength in your arms. You can focus on the stability of your shoulders. Then you have to think about your hip alignment and what your legs are doing. And for the new student, there are so many things happening that they can't focus on anything and the pose falls apart. And then for the student who's been working on handstands for a while, they've focused so much on shoulder stability that that becomes second nature and they don't have to think about it as much so they can shift their focus to something else like the alignment of their hips or what their hands are doing. So yoga gives us this opportunity to explore our ability to multitask and shift our awareness, shift our focus from one point to another so that we can expand into a bigger universe, into the pose. And then that expands or becomes a metaphor for life in that we can try to do many things. We can try to accomplish too many things. And at some point we'll, we'll have to focus. We'll have to pull back a little bit and focus on one or two things so that we can expand again. I think that some people just have the ability to juggle and handle more moving parts than other people. I can't handle very many. I have to focus on like one or two things at a time. And then I can move on to the next thing. I have a pretty hard time keeping too many things in my field of awareness at, at one time, whether we're talking about yoga on the mat or we're talking about daily life just getting through through the day. I need to have a to-do list and, and go through my to-do list one at a time. I can't do all of the things on that list at the same time. My question though is, is anyone really able to multitask and juggle or is that an illusion? Because it seems like even someone who is on a conference call typing an email doing all these things at once, it may appear that they're being productive and multitasking, but a huge thing I've learned over the last couple of years is that for me, at least when I try and do four things at once, I do nothing at all. I am missing out on what's happening on the phone call. I'm not putting my awareness on what I'm writing on the email. I'm not tasting the food that I'm trying to eat with the other hand. And so do you think that do you think that multitasking is real or is that just kind of 
something we think we can do. From a psychology perspective, I believe you're right. There have been psychology studies that show that it's not true multitasking. What people who are multitasking, they're on the phone, typing on the computer and taking notes and listening to someone else talk to them. They're not truly doing all of those tasks at once. What they're really good at is shifting their focus very quickly. Let's just go back to the juggling Rubik's cubes. The, the kid is not necessarily solving all of them at once. He's just shifting his focus between one Rubik's cube and an un, another Rubik's cube to solve it. They're not all happening simultaneously. It looks simultaneously from the outside, but it's really a very skillful ability to shift focus. Same with answering the phones and working on the computer. You're just very skilled at, at shifting your focus. So I, I think that you're right. The multitasking or doing everything at once, it may look like that on the outside, but it's really more of an ability to quickly shift focus. And I think that's more what I'm talking about. Some of us have the ability to shift our focus between multiple tasks. And some of us only have the ability to shift our focus between two tasks. And I, I'm the two task person, not the 10 task person. It, or it I just need one task to focus on. Right. I think it's called monotasking. <laughs> right. I'm really better at that one. <laughs> right. Well, and that's really what I found because I used to try and do about 17 things at once. And the truth is that's kind of how, you know, when I worked in corporate, that's what you're valued for is being able to do a bunch of different things at once. And then when I started breaking it down, I realized I'm not absorbing anything that I'm actually doing and I'm not really giving the work I'm creating justice because I'm, I'm not putting full focus into one thing coming back to this idea of of focus as limitation so yeah and the biggest thing I've changed in my work habits is completely focusing on one thing at a time I use this this thing called the Pomodoro technique a lot which is it's really simple it's breaking down your day into 25 minute tasks where you really only work on one thing at a time. So when I'm working on one thing, when I'm being really good, I put my phone on airplane mode, I shut down all the browser windows on my computer so I can just focus on one thing. And from that contraction, I then have the freedom to get really creative with what I'm doing. And then when that 25 minutes comes to an end, I can move on to the next thing. That said, it's also taken me about 10 years to be able to have the patience and understanding to get there. So maybe, maybe what we're talking about is that this is a practice that to be able to move from one thing to the next with focus is something that we work toward. That's not necessarily something that we're better at than other people. Mm -hmm. Phoebe, did you have the etymology of Swatantria for us? Yes, as always. This one's really interesting to me. So the first syllable, Sva, means self. And Tantria is looming. 
And so the way it's loosely translated is as self-looming. And what I interpret from, from this definition is that we have the freedom to loom, to, to create our lives as we desire. And loom is, it's a process of, of making wool, right? And so we have the, the freedom to, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, to limit, we have the freedom to limit what we're looming in this life. Tantra refers to the loom. The loom is this process of, it's a machine or a tool to weave fabric, to weave threads into a fabric. So it's self-weaving. The thread has to be expanded or stretched, and then it's interwoven. To me, it's this process of expanding and then weaving the fibers, contracting, and then stretching the fabric out again. Sometimes we'll translate Tantra as expansion because of that process of, of stretching the threads over the loom. Swatantria could be self-expansion, self-looming, self-interweaving. The other definition, uh, tantrum, can be translated as dependence. So then self-dependence could be another way to translate Swatantria. So the universe depends on no one but herself. And, and that signifies the freedom of, of consciousness. To apply this to our experience, the way I interpret that is that only we as individuals really know what freedom feels like for ourselves. And it's why when we use someone else's perspective of freedom, it doesn't feel as free. Given the opportunity to spend a day with no responsibilities, unlimited money, nothing to worry about, we would all spend our days a little bit differently. And this, to me, is our, our unique expression of freedom. And so when we try and contract ourselves into someone else's version of freedom, it's why it doesn't feel quite as good when we're living out our own freedom. Right. The freedom to choose is the freedom to choose between what's available for us to choose from. It's not the freedom to choose from an unlimited selection. Most of us don't have that option. We're born into a certain life, a certain body, and we don't have unlimited options. We can't choose to do anything, even culturally or from a society point of view. There are laws, there are rules that we have to obey in order to function in the culture or in the society. But even obeying the laws and following the rules is part of the choice. So we can choose to obey the laws or we can choose not to. There will be consequences for not obeying the rules, but it's a choice. We'll always have choices 
There will be many choices for each of us to make throughout life, and we have the freedom to choose. We might not like the choices, but we have that freedom to choose. And the biggest revelation I had in prepping for this episode was that the limitations are the gift in this life. Because if we were in our true divine nature of Swatantriya all the time, the truth is we would get really bored. And I see this manifest in a friend's cat who I watch. And this cat can do whatever it wants all day. It doesn't have any responsibilities. doesn't have to work. I watch it start to bat around one of its toys and it's like it's creating its own set of limitations because it's so bored in all of its freedom. And this cat is no different than us because if we could do whatever we wanted all the time, we would start to create our own set of challenges and limitations in order to make things more interesting. And in in different schools of philosophy, we talk about how the limitations that we interpret as the sort of things getting in the way of this life or the things that are making our life really miserable or challenging are actually the parts that texture this life to make it really interesting, to make us creative and to help us live out this Shiva nature of being free enough to choose limitation. So may we continue to celebrate the freedom that we have within the limitations of our unique experience. And may we freely create our lives. May we freely choose from the choices available to us. May we focus and create freedom both on and off of the map. I'm really happy that we have the freedom to limit ourselves to this topic and to this podcast. We have the freedom to do whatever we want during the day. And it feels really special to, to contract into this conversation and, um, and discussion. We would love it if our listeners would choose freely to write a review, send us an email, send us a message, interact with us. We'd love to hear what you all are thinking. Uh, we'd love to hear how you all are receiving our, our podcast and just the, the notions that we're talking about on Yoga Chit Chat. You can find us on Instagram at yoga.chit.chat or on our website, it's www.yogachitchat.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.